This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Two pharmaceutical companies say their new COVID vaccine is 100% effective against severe disease and hospitalization. We'll take a closer look at how this one could be utilized, whether we all eventually might be getting uh, booster shots of this stuff. L.A. County easing its indoor mask mandates this week. You still got to wear one inside unless the business checks your vaccination status. Uh, And if they do that, then you can take it off. We start with the new COVID vaccine and lofty claims of efficacy. What purpose would it serve that other current vaccine options on the market cannot? Dr. Joseph Castaldo is an infectious disease specialist with Ohio Health. So uh, is this a vaccine designed primarily to be used as a secondary shot? Well, it could be used as a booster. And again, this is a, a new type of vaccine made by Sanofi and Glaxo. It's more like Novavax vaccine, which is not yet out, but it's also seeking FDA emergency use authorization. It's a conventional base vaccine where they make the spike protein. And this vaccine uh, is actually being authorized asking for the primary series in addition to the booster. And all we really know about it, too, is based on a press release from Sanofi. It's actually online for anybody interested to look at it, but the actual details of how it performs, we do not know. And like you mentioned before, uh, in the clinical trial from the press release, they are demonstrating 100% efficacy against severe COVID-19 disease and hospitalizations. We have never had a vaccine in the clinical trial have anything measured in 100%. But in the real world, the vaccine effectiveness, I doubt it's going to be 100% for all people. Where was the timeline for those numbers to come from? I mean, was this they were testing versus Delta or were they testing versus Omicron? I mean, if Omicron is less likely to end you up in the hospital anyways, well, then, you know, they've got that on their side, as it were. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, the details of the clinical trial are still unknown. All we know is a press release. But if you look at that press release, they do make comment that there is the suggestion that the clinical trial was with different variants. So again, we have to wait for that to see what it is. And again, that's the, the era of COVID when these new vaccine information come out. Oftentimes it's first released by press release until the publication of, as, as available to be reviewed. You know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, because you kind of raised uh, an interesting question there when you're talking about other vaccines that are that are, uh, you know, in trial. Why is it taking so long for some of these other companies? I mean, we've we've been talking, it seems like endlessly about the 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 Pfizer's and the Moderna's and to a lesser degree, uh, the Johnson and Johnson's. But there are all these other companies that have been doing studies. Why are they taking so long? And the others seem to to have happened relatively quickly. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in in the setting of, uh, for example, Novavax, a lot of it had to do with supply chain issues uh, with getting the raw materials and making the vaccine. Remember, too, Novavax is a a very small company compared to Johnson & Johnson and even Pfizer. So it's something new that they were doing. And that same thing, too, as with Sanofi, there were supply chain issues initially making these vaccines. Please keep in mind, too, with Moderna, you know, we already had mRNA vaccines already primed up, ready to go with other vaccines. So, you know, We had mRNA vaccines, uh, the technology already there, and we finally had a infection to work with it. Would these be for us or would this be for continuing to vaccinate the rest of the world or, or for both? Well, a little bit of both. I think in the United States, uh, for whatever reason, there are people who are still leery or hesitant on getting mRNA vaccines. So I think having a more traditional type vaccine may be more palatable to people who have not yet chosen to be vaccinated. 
All right. And and sort of on the topic of those other vaccines, the CDC today modified uh, its suggestion of when you should space your first versus second shot. They're not talking about boosters, but the first and second primary shots or initial shots for a, a certain age group to do it over a longer period of time. Why would that be? Yeah, so again, we began vaccinating people in context in uh, December of 2020. And since that time, we've learned a lot about the vaccines, how they perform, we've learned a lot about COVID, and we've all learned a lot about myocarditis. And we know that there is a much higher risk of myocarditis uh, with getting COVID compared to a vaccine. But relatively speaking, the absolute risk of getting vaccine-induced myocarditis remains small. Uh, the relative risk is higher for men aged 12 to 39. And there are many studies out there suggesting that this risk is made lower when the dosing interval is prolonged. And, and because of that, the, F, the CDC and their vaccine recommendations uh, suggested that uh, people specifically uh, ages 12 and older, men more than women, uh, they can and they should delay their second dose to eight weeks. Previously, it was three for Pfizer and four for Moderna. Dr. Joseph Gastaldo, Infectious Disease Specialist, Ohio Health. If you live in Los Angeles County or are planning to visit soon and you're fully vaccinated against COVID-19, you could soon leave your face mask at home. Changes are coming to the county's mask mandate but it could get a little confusing and could be difficult to enforce. There are some catches to the change in policies in order to remove the masks. Uh, the store, restaurants, the gym, wherever you're walking in, needs to be checking people's vaccination status. Dr. Amesh Dalja is a senior scholar at Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security. So, uh, doctor, the latest from L.A., if you're vaccinated and go into a business that's checking vaccination cards, you're, you're free to remove your masks. Does this make medical sense? I think there's even more flexibility. That policy that you're talking about is something that New York City or New York State had in place for a while, but recently ended. And I think it's an improvement from universal masking. But we have to start thinking about off-ramps, full off-ramps for masking, as vaccines are readily acceptable for those who want to take them. We have antivirals, we have rapid tests, we have monoclonal antibodies, and we're not hearing about hospitals being in crisis. So uh, this has to be something that that's on the table, that we start thinking about masking becoming a personal choice like it is in many states. Is there also some thoughts to the idea that, you know what, if we're going to have to put these back on, maybe if things get bad again in the winter, if this does turn into a seasonal type thing or if there's a new variant, then you give people a little freedom right now, because if you're going to ask them to do it again later, at least they had spring and maybe summer. Well, I think it's it's unlikely that we get the same caliber of problem with COVID-19 in the future just because there's so much immunity in the population and more medical countermeasures. So I don't think that that scenario is, is, is very likely to occur. However, I do think it's important that the public realize that public health decisions are grounded in science. And if hospital capacity is no longer a concern in Los Angeles County, then those public health measures have to reflect that. And for many, for much of this pandemic, public health measures have sort of been divorced from the actual metrics, which we were supposed to be really following, which was hospital capacity. And I think now when you're looking, when you're a vaccinated person, you, you have very little to fear from COVID-19 because what you're going to get is a mild illness, a mild illness that's really not going to be preventable because of the Omicron variant. And I think we have to be okay with that because we have shifted 
the spectrum of illness to the mild side with COVID-19. That's what our vaccines are meant to do. That's what our antivirals and monoclonals do. And, and we're trying to really move to a paradigm where we think about COVID-19 like other respiratory viruses, where there are recommendations and guidance out there, but a lot of this is going to fall to personal, to personal choices and personal risk tolerances. And that's where we want to go with this pandemic, in my mind. All right, but I can hear people now thinking, uh, well, wait a minute, doesn't this really depend on, and you know the, the litany of, of caveats, uh, if I'm immunocompromised, if I'm over a certain age, if I have a host of other issues? If you're immunocompromised, if you are somebody that has a very low risk tolerance for whatever reason, remember that one-way masking works. Uh, just because the government says that you don't have to wear a mask doesn't mean that you, you don't, you, you're, you're forbidden from doing so. So those people who are immunocompromised can continue to wear masks when they're in congregated and, and high-risk situations. They can ask people to rapid test when they're around them. They, there's a lot that people can do in their own personal capacity. But remember, we now have access to high-quality masks that, that people can get. They can get N95 equivalents now, and they can wear those if they're uncomfortable with other people being around them without without masks. So I think we, we have to really start to think about this uh, in, in terms of personal responsibility and less about centralized government decision-making. Dr. Amesh Sadalja, Senior Scholar, Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security. We end today's Coronavirus Daily with a story about the so-called hot-vaxxed summer that never came to be during 2021, but which might finally come to fruition this year. The CEO of Expedia is making a bold prediction. He says that summer 2022 will be the busiest travel period ever. He cites long pent-up demand to travel that in spite of our optimistic expectations were never fully fulfilled during 2021 thanks to repeated COVID surges. Now, with mask mandates falling all across the U.S., with Europe relaxing most, if not all, of its COVID-related travel restrictions, coast could be clear for massive numbers of us hitting the roads and the friendly skies. You got to stomach the prices, of course, but I imagine so many people have the airline credits saved up from last go around when they couldn't go. Yeah, I don't. This is <laughs> you'll stay here. Yeah. This is an Odyssey original. Find someone, us. someone, give me their their point. <laughs> Put in for a transfer. Yeah, and then I'll go. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. I'd like to go to an island. You know, I don't care where. I'd go to Coney Island. It doesn't matter. Just something that has island in it.